Alright everybody, welcome back to our third and for now final detour into storytelling strategy. Uh, we'll probably come back to this at some point, but we've done three episodes of our last four in this and after this, we'll probably move back on to trying to fool each other to varying degrees of success. Almost certainly. <laughs> well, we've covered trouble brewing. We've covered Sect and Violence. We've covered Bad Moon Rising. So we thought we would take a look at a custom so that we could get a couple of different experimental characters onto into our conversation about storytelling. Yeah, and also look at how you storytell when you're mixing elements from each of the base threes, which of course the custom we're looking at does. It has characters from each of the base three scripts plus some experimentals. The custom we're going to look at today is a very well-known one. It's been around for a long time. Uh, it's Catfishing by Emily. It's a little bit dated, I think, <laughs> in terms of just kind of the, the roles that are on it. But it has a great mix of Trouble Brewing, Sex and Violets, and Bad Moon Rising characters, as well as a few of the early experimentals, which actually do require some storyteller interaction. Amnesiac and Widow, specifically. And Balloonist and Cannibal all have uh, substantial elements of storyteller decision-making that needs to go in. That we so we're probably going to put those before. in the bag. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, so uh, why don't we start off with what is it, how do you, when you look at a custom as a storyteller, what is it that you look for to try to decide, do I want to run this custom? Yeah, uh, there's several different things you're going to be looking at, depending on what you're trying to do. Sometimes you might be trying to run a custom to playtest it. Like, maybe you just wrote something up, maybe there was a new character release, maybe you had an idea of some character interactions you wanted to do and you threw a script together. At that point, you're probably doing a playtest. That's obviously not what we're doing with catfishing, but that's one of the things you might be looking for in a custom. And maybe we'll do another episode on storytelling, even though I just said we weren't probably going to do one for a while on a fresh new script that's going to be playtested, so we can talk about the different choices you're making when you're playtesting a script versus what you're doing here. Something else you probably want to do, and this is particularly important in physical play, is you want to think, do I actually own the tokens I need for this script? And if I don't own the tokens, what are my options for fixing that. So, if you, for example, if you bought the base game of Blood on the Clock Tower, the physical version, you would have all but one, two, three, four of the tokens on this script. Uh, you wouldn't have Widow, you wouldn't have Cannibal, you wouldn't have Amnesiac, you wouldn't have Balloonist. If you were lucky enough to get the Kickstarter edition, you'd have Amnesiac and Cannibal, but you still wouldn't have Widow or, or Balloonist because they don't come with the Kickstarter edition. And if you were lucky enough to be at Clock Tower Con last year, you'd actually have every character token that goes on this script, and you wouldn't have to worry about this. But going back to the real world, uh, maybe you just have your base game, you want to run your custom, you pick Catfishing. So Catfishing has four character tokens you don't have. And that's just something you actually have to think about when running a custom. And what you have to think about here is, all right, how am I going to deal out these four characters? And the answer is pretty simple. Absent some attempt to make alt your own token sets or whatever, 
you're going to use replacement tokens, which is you're going to put another token you do own into the bag. You're going to tell your players ahead of time, hey, this token represents this character. I don't add this character. I own this character token, but we're going to use this character to represent it in the bag. Maybe you do Spy for Widow because they're thematically similar. Maybe you do Undertaker for Cannibal because they're thematically similar. Maybe you do... I don't know, for Amnesiac and Balloonist because they're... You want to look for something that's either thematically similar, starts with a similar letter, certainly something that has the same color. These are the things you're looking for. And this is important when you're picking a custom script, especially for physical play, because you really don't want to have to rely on too many substitutions. You want to probably rely on... Four is probably the highest amount I'd want to run in a custom script I was doing in physical play for tokens I didn't have. So that's an important factor. Something else you're going to have to think about is, do I think this script is balanced? Um, good. The, this is sort of different from the playtesting side, but on the, do I think my players will have fun with this script? Like, generally, I would stick to your first-time storytelling customs. Probably stick to something that you know has been tested by other people substantially. Catfishing is on version 11. It's not a perfect script. Nothing's a perfect script, except for maybe Trouble Brewing. But there are some secret bad interactions on Trouble Brewing. Um, there's actually a great Cold of the Clock Tower episode recorded at Clock Tower Con 2023, where Ed Gabriel, who's now the chief operating officer of TPI, and Andrew Nathans, the host of that podcast, talk about how the Undertaker and the Virgin don't actually play well together. Like, when they're both in the bag, it's sort of... It's a redundancy that creates unfun situations for the player who has one of those tokens. So you do, but you do want to try to find something that's going to be reasonably balanced, reasonably easy to build a bag for that's not going to give your players an unfun time. Another so, thing I think... Oh, sorry. Sorry. You know, you go. I've been talking for like two yeah. minutes, two or three minutes uninterrupted. <laughs> uh, so another thing you should do is take a look at the script and make sure you know how all of the characters work and whether or not there are any different, difficult, unusual, you know, interactions, jinxes that might be uh, in play, try to think about what are what are my players going to ask me uh, about these characters when they interact here. Yeah. Um. Yes. No. Yeah, and 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 that's just to that's just to help yourself, right? You you don't want to start out with a custom and then get it into your player's hands, and then somebody asks you about an interaction three days into the game, and the answer that you need to give might out the evil team or might show that the demon is running their bluff incorrectly, right? You want to make sure that you and your players have a good sense of how the characters work and how all the interactions kind of play together. Yeah. Uh, for the base three, before you storytell them, I highly recommend that you as a storyteller read the almanacs, um, but of course, with the custom script, there is no almanac. There are some resources out there that can help you. Uh, the Wikipedia has some detailed almanac-like entries for every character. If you really want to get into the nitty-gritty on the unofficial BOTC Discord, the one that was sort of set up before people uh, before Clock Tower took off as an online game by people unofficially, uh, again, Ed Gabriel has these very detailed lists of interesting interactions for most released experimental characters. There's a few that don't have an interesting interaction page. But Little Monster! It's, <laughs> Little Monster! It's great to read those before you uh, 
run a script with any of those characters. Like these are great resources that you should use. You should make sure you understand the basic rules interactions here. Uh, here, luckily on Catfishing, there's not too many super complicated rules interactions. There's there's some yeah, there's, there's some weird many. things. There's some, there's some there's weird things that can things. happen. But, but there's, there's no there's jinxes on this script. There's no, no special rules you need to know and tell your players about. There's no, uh, yeah, there's no jinxes. There's no, and nothing that sort of breaks your brain too hard to think about it. Yeah. Why don't we, uh, why don't we, why don't we get into picking some characters, Emma, and see if we can, see if we can kind of build a, build a bag out um, so people can see how to think through this specific set of uh, circumstances. Now, one thing that's notable about catfishing is it doesn't actually follow the normal recommended character for count format, which is 13 townsfolk, 4 outsiders, 4 minions, 4 demons. Uh, it instead has 5 outsiders and 3 demons. And part of that is that it has ways to get up to all 5 outsiders and play. You could have a balloonist, a fengu, and a godfather who adds 1, giving you 5 outsiders in play. You probably don't actually want to do that. Having a 5 outsider game is probably going to be too much uh, outsiders for a game. You probably don't want to use this as an excuse to have a five outsider game, but it's an option that you should be available. And if you run catfishing a lot, you probably want to do very, very rarely, every once in a long while, just to make sure it's something that players believe might happen. But when you do it, make sure that you put powerful townsfolk in the bag. Because when you replace townsfolk with outsiders, you definitely start to lose the ability for the good team to solve the game, right? If they just kill off one good ongoing information role on the first night, if that's all you've put, you know, if you've, if you've only put, you know, fortune teller, raven keeper, chef, snake charmer in, you know, and that's kind of the, that's kind of it. That's kind of all that the town has. You, the town's going to have trouble if that fortune teller dies the first night. So make sure there's some redundancy in your bag when you're putting a lot of outsiders in. The more outsiders you put in, generally the more ongoing and powerful townsfolk information you need. Yeah. Uh, the other thing you want to look at is you want to look at a script and sort of try to figure out what type of script is this. And by type, I mean sort of the base three represents sort of three very, I mean, they're similar in that they're all recognizably blood on the clock tower, but they're all sort of distinct distinct ways to playing Blood on the Clock Tower. You have SNV, which is your heavy information script with where evil is causing is forced to sort of actively buff and causes a lot of misinformation. You have your BMR, which is your mechanical interaction script. Almost everything on BMR is mechanical. And then you have TV, which is sort of a balanced script. And when you look at a custom script, just to sort of get yourself in the right headspace for thinking about it, you should look at the roles on it and think, what are the base threes does this sort of remind me of the most? And I think with catfishing, it's pretty clearly a Sex and Violets style script. Would you agree, Milk? Yeah, I think it's very much like Sex and Violets. And just along with, you know, which of the base three it's like and, and what kind of script it is in terms of the amount or types of information, I think we can also think about what types of reasoning the script focuses on as well. Uh, in in some scripts, you see a lot of characters that rely more on social interactions. Um, on some, we see characters that get a lot of direct information. And on some, we see characters that get more indirect information or meta information. 
And so we want to be aware of that as well. Uh, BMR is a little bit more indirect information. You're sort of doing second level reasoning. Sects and Violets is very direct information. And Trouble Brewing is mostly direct information. But there's a lot of very sort of soft information as well. There, there's no really confirmable strong information in TV. Maybe Virgin is about the only, the only kind of everything else is sort of soft. So um, with that, I think maybe we want to pick some characters and see what we end up with. Yeah, and like with a base three script on a sort of well-tested custom like SNV. I'm probably just going to hit the shuffle button a few times to land on a demon. We've already talked about storytelling for the Fangu, so even though that's where my shuffle button landed, I'm going to keep shuffling until it came up something else. It came up Imp. That's fine. We should we should talk about Pithag. And let's talk about Widow, too. Yeah, Pithag and Widow yeah. are two that we're definitely going to talk about. In terms like, of outsiders, I think this is a... Uh, She's mad about something. So we're starting with just our two outsiders, our normal outsider count, because we didn't put in the Godfather, the Vega, the Fangu. Yep. Uh, we could put in a Balloonist and add another outsider, but we'll get to that in a minute. Let's get our two base outsiders first. And I'm thinking we should put in a Lunatic here. I agree. I think a Lunatic is a great choice for this. And... Let's talk about a drunk, I think. Does that make sense to you? I think a drunk makes sense to me. There's not a ton of misinformation sort of in evil's control. They do have some interesting things that they can do. The widow obviously poisons someone, and the pit hag with the widow information is going to be able to disrupt powerful information roles. But one thing they won't be able to do is do it secretly because we're going to put a drunk in play. So we'll have a so drunk. We'll lunatic and a drunk. Uh, let's... Now go add that Bloomston we were talking about. I think that's a good idea. Uh, first of all, it's an interesting it's an interesting token to talk about and think through uh, in this exercise. And second of all, it gives us another outsider to play with. How about a sweetheart? I think sweetheart's a great choice here, again, because of the limited misinformation. And sweetheart is a different kind of misinformation than drunk, right? Because you know when it happens. When the sweetheart gets when the sweetheart gets killed, they know that the they know that someone gets drunk from their ability. It's also interesting, I think, you know, when when outsiders die in the night on a Fangu script, especially sort of early game, it starts to point away from Fangu. And I think that's a piece of information that the good team can use. So we've got a drunk, a sweetheart, and a lunatic. Yeah. On to the town. We're probably gonna put a cannibal in. We're almost certainly gonna put a cannibal in. We want to talk about Cannibal and how to deal with Cannibal, so we're going to go ahead and put that on there. Uh, I think I might leave off Amnesiac this time. We've got three other characters that we want to talk about, and Amnesiac is probably its own episode in the far future, sort of talking about how to storytell it, how to create Amnesiac episodes. So I think we'll skip Amnesiac for now. Maybe we'll give it as a bluff. Okay. Why don't we have a Philosopher in this game? There's... Yeah, that's fine. There's a couple of reasons to do that, but uh, one reason is if a powerful townsfolk gets killed early, the philosopher might be able to back them up. Uh, let's toss in a gambler, I think. I think gambler's good. It creates an extra death, but it, and it's one of the few things on here that creates that extra death. Uh, really just gambler, godfather, and grandmother. But and Pithag. Oh, and Pithag. Pithag can create the extra death, which is why it's, uh, which is why it's interesting. So gambler might create that. 
might create that situation. Uh, I like uh, I like a Raven Keeper most of the time. Uh, one Demon Bane character on a script is usually good, and we've got a lot of characters from uh, other scripts or experimentals, so I think it would be good to give a Trouble Brewing character a shot here. Yeah, we should probably have one other recurring info role and one other in one of the starts knowing roles. I agree with that. Um, maybe go, maybe go with. Let's talk about Dreamer. Dreamer. I mean, I know we talked about Dreamer in the SMV episode, but. I think it's worth talking about again. Yeah. And with Dreamer in, I'd prefer not to give Investigator, so why don't we go with. Uh, why don't we go with Grandmother? That sounds. That okay. sounds like fun. And why do you prefer not to go with the Investigator when you have the Dreamer in? Right, well, when the Investigator is in and the Dreamer is in, the Investigator is likely to give out their ping fairly early. The Dreamer just checks the players who are going to uh, are going to be in that ping, and the Storyteller is just going to have to show one of those players as the thing that they're... or both of those players as the evil that they were pinged mm-hmm. as, and then both of those players as their bluff. It's not particularly helpful, and it also narrows down targets for the Dreamer. If the Dreamer gets that investigator information and thinks, eh, it's not really worth me checking, I'm just going to see the bluff, you know, I'm just going to see the role that the investigator saw on the bluff, it points them in the direction of other evil players even more so. So by process of elimination, the Dreamer can get a look, becomes a little bit stronger if you've got that static information. Okay. Well, we have 12 characters, let's press the button. So again, I think we talked about this on the VOR episode, but remember when you're passing out tokens in real life or on the app, the lunatic is going to be the demon and the demon is going to be the lunatic. So just as a matter of good practice, let's just swap those two tokens mm-hmm. to remind yourself that's how things generally work. All right. And I'll just put a little custom, maybe we could just put a little custom note in there by the lunatic that says M so that we... We do need to pick a drunk because we have the balloonist in play, which means we do need that third outsider. Mm-hmm. And it can't be the balloonist, right? Uh, if you're putting a balloonist in the bag, you can put the balloonist in drunk and not add another outsider, but you can't choose the balloonist as the drunk once you've passed out the bag. Yeah, and this probably isn't what I would do in a real game where I was trying to balance it, but for purposes of this exercise, I'd like to make the gym the drunk. So we can talk about giving bad dreamer information and what you want to be doing when you're giving bad dreamer information. Especially on this script where we don't have the Vortox anymore to create bad dreamer information. Yeah. So that means that you can't just... Like, with the Vortox, obviously, it forces you to give very bad dreamer information. That makes it very clear the dreamer is getting wrong information. With... This script where we don't have the Vortex to lie up on, giving bad dreamer information is much more nuanced. It's not as easy as just saying, oh, we can just give every good player they dream as not their character and then give the evil team as what we know they're bluffing as. That's not going to give you a fun and balanced game. It's going to tell the dreamer, oh, if I see someone as what they're claiming, they're evil. Who do you think we should show the grandmother? Emma, because that's an important confirmation that's probably going to be believed. Sure. We could consider giving the gambler to the grandmother. 
the gambler being seen by the grandmother is a fun BMR interaction where uh, if the gambler dies to their own ability, of course, they don't take the grandmother with them. So that might be a good way to help confirm the gambler's gambles. On the other hand, it can create some very powerful confirmation chains that can get out of hand for the evil team. Now, that's probably not the one we want to do. What about the grandmother and the cannibal? We could show the grandmother the cannibal. That kind of confirms the cannibal's information at night. The cannibal's information can still be spiked by, you know, poison uh, from eating a minion. So it's a little bit less bad. But again, you have this power for... If I'm the grandmother who sees the cannibal, or if I'm the cannibal who someone's claimed to be my grandmother, I want to eat them real bad. Because that second grandmother ping is going to be super strong for me. So I'm a little hesitant to show the grandmother the cannibal here. Well, do you think we would show the balloonist as a grandmother ping? I'm, I'm, I know I'm going through them a little bit pedantically, but I think it's important that everybody understands that there's not necessarily going to be that many options for us. Yeah. Now, I, I would be fine showing the bonus as a grandmother in general. I am a bit worried about it here on this particular Grimwave setup because the widow is going to know that the bloonist is the powerful ongoing information role here. That is going to be a really juicy double kill we're setting up for evil. I think an interesting choice for us would be to uh, show the grandmother the raven keeper. It comes with a cost, but it means that the evil team has to trade giving the raven keeper a chance to get information for getting the double kill. Exactly. That is what I was thinking with this grandmother. And yeah, I think showing yeah. the grandmother the raven keeper is probably going to be our best choice here. Whenever we have a Grim Peeker, a spy, or a widow, we want to set up interesting choices for them to use their information to make, if possible. So here we've made an interesting choice for the widow. The widow could waste their, could spend their poison on the Raven Keeper and expect that the Raven Keeper and Grandmother will get killed together when the demon kills them. That's a lot of resources for the evil team to commit there, though. So they might not want to do that. Similarly, we've also prevented uh, we've also prevented uh, the evil team from just ignoring the Raven Keeper in the game because you can't just leave them till final three. They've been seen by the grandmother, so evil's got to do something about this situation. Exactly. Let's move on to the next setup choice that we kind of have to make. It's not so much a setup choice, but uh, we're gonna end up showing the balloonist someone on the first night. Before we get that. Well, oh, let's you're right. The, the lunatic widow. minions. Forgot about the widow and the lunatic. Yeah, we got to do that. The lunatic minions. Let's do the lunatic minions before we get into what the balloons is. Okay. Where do you think the lunatic minions should go? We could make a very interesting choice and show the lunatic two evils as their minions because the widow knows that the lunatic's in play and the demon knows that the lunatic's in play. Yeah. But now, as we talked we about talk previously. <laughs> yeah, we, as we talked about this previously, this does sort of force a play onto Evil's hands. But Evil can just refuse the play. I've been in games where, either because I have a Widow, or because some storytellers like to house rule that Evil knows who the lunatic sees, that the storytellers have tried to encourage me to fool a lunatic as a demon or as a minion, 
And most of the time, I personally will just go, nah, that's solid for me, and ignore it. Like, it's something you want to do sometimes, because again, you don't want to get yourself in the meta of the lunatic minions are always good either, because that's a bad meta to get. You want your lunatic minions to be semi-randomly a lot of between 0, 1, and 2. So really, it depends on your group's meta. But let's actually just show the Imp and the Widow here. I think in it's a choice that we can make here. To sort of show how this can... Yeah, well, let's just do that for now. We'll do that for now. We're going to talk about why this is, you know, good, bad, we, and different. Yeah. We also need to pick some bluffs. Indeed. Uh, and we need to pick bluffs for the Demon and also for the Lunatic, because they're going to get uh, two sets. We're going to have to create two sets of bluffs. So one thing we can do is we can show a Snake Charmer as a bluff, which helps the demon because they know their widow isn't going to be lying to them about a Snake Charmer if they have it as a bluff. One of my on favorite hand, things to do, <laughs> and something I have done many times. On the other hand, we cannot give Snake Charmers a bluff, so the has to be worried that maybe their widow is lying to them about a Snake Charmer. And what do I mean by this? Some spies and widows, when they see a snake trummer on their grim, will say, well, I don't want the demon to know who that is if things come up to it. So they'll just put some role that's not in play and not a bluff in, down in their notes or in their mind on where the snake trummer is and tell the demon that character's that. And the really adventurous widows or spies might even go up to the snake trummer and say, hey, here's your bluff and then leave. Who would do that, Emma? I don't know anyone who did that in Las Vegas in a game of Clock Tower. Yeah, it's a thing some people do, so you can... It's, it's a choice you have. You can either let the imp know you can fully trust your widow's not a liar by giving them snake tremor as a bluff, or you can allow the widow to have the optionality of whether they want to set up a potential betrayal of their demon. With, with a widow and a pit hag, they have lots of opportunities to do. Indeed. So with that in mind, let's give Fortune Teller, let's give Savant, and let's give Chef. That sounds good. Those are good bluffs. They're useful. They'll get the evil team fairly far into the game. Yeah, and remind you, the imp is going to have everything as a bluff because they do have a widow, unless the widow decides to hold back something to try to create an opportunity for a snake charming if things go sour later. With the Pit Hag in play, the evil team can also just use the snake charmer to move the demon as well. Yes. Although they can do it straight up with the Pit Hag if they want to change demon. Yeah, but when you do it with the Pit Hag, of course, you make some noise and leave some trails. When you do it with a snake charmer, if you turn the widow into the snake charmer, say... There, it's silent. It's completely silent. The Pitag can just turn the widow into the snake charmer. The snake charm, the evil snake charmer, can snake charm the demon, and the good team's never the wiser that the demon has moved without a death. And if you, as the storyteller in this game, when you were looking at the script and thinking, "Yeah, I'm, I think I'm pretty comfortable running this," if you didn't see that interaction, suddenly there's going to be some stuff happening that you are going to have to figure out pretty quickly. How to balance. Let's uh let's keep going with our setup here, Emma. Uh, we've got grandmother taken care of. We've got the lunatic minions out. The next player we would be checking in with 
uh, in terms of information. Of course, we'd give out the, the demon and minion info. Oh, we have to do our lunatic bluffs. So, Emma, why don't we uh, get moving on with the lunatic bluffs? We've got some demon bluffs. Let's get the lunatics bluffs sorted out. How do you like to choose bluffs for a lunatic in a game like this? It doesn't really matter. Like, again, you can give three out-of-play roles to the lunatic, which would be, like, Investigator, Reckless, Snake Charmer, or Amnesiac, Mutant, Snake Charmer. Uh, you can give in-play roles to the lunatic. I, lunatic bluffs don't matter all that much to me. Since we've shown two evils, though, we probably don't want to give a townsfolk role as a as a bluff to the lunatic here. Just because yeah. they're going to figure out that they're lunatic, and if the evil team does take the opportunity to try to catfish the lunatic, so to speak, uh, we probably don't want them to get trapped by the lunatic's bluffs being in play. Yeah, so let's maybe give an investigator uh, an amnesiac and a recluse. Investigator, amnesiac, and recluse. That sounds good. That gives the now, that gives the lunatic some, some space to bluff. Yeah, something to note here is that if the widow chooses to like give the lunatic a fake friend, if they keep that balloonist in seat eight for the lunatic, they're gonna have to sneak a mutant on somewhere to cover what the lunatic has seen. Yep, but that's the evil team's problem to sort out. Uh, hopefully the widow notices the balloonist there and notices that they need to replace the lunatic with another outsider. But again, another another pitfall that the team is going to fall into. Let's just say the philosopher does nothing tonight because it's actually frequently a good decision for on this trip for a philosopher to wait a night because doubling up on some of these starts knowing roles like grandmother and investigator is very powerful. So for the file, if the file waits a night, they can get that double up rather than drunking someone on night one. Seems pretty strong. Now we can talk about the widow. <laughs> now we can talk about the widow. Yes, we can get there eventually. Uh, widow is a grim peaker, uh, like spy, but unlike spy, it doesn't have the benefit of being able to appear, uh, register as different roles, and it only sees the Grim once at the beginning of the game. So Widow's information is a little bit more limited, and with that limited information and lack of misregistration, comes with picking one player to get poisoned information as long as the Widow's alive. So looking at this Grim, the Widow's going to see that they have a Dreamer who's drunk, a philosopher that could be anything. A lunatic, a sweetheart. They're not a good target for poisoning. The Ravenkeeper grandchild might be a good target for poisoning. But Ravenkeeper can be managed by the pit hag. So it's possible to deal with in another way. The balloonist, who's getting very powerful information in exchange for adding an outsider to the game. The cannibal, who could get very powerful information. And the gambler, who's going to get confirmations quite a lot. Yeah. And since we're not really meaning to talk about widow strategy here, I don't really care who the widow poisons, so I'll just pick someone who I would poison. The gambler, Let's I say think, is a good choice. Your widow picks grandmother. the grambler. The important part of this story isn't who the widow picks. The important part of this story is, who do we give the ping to? Yeah. 
So the Widow's Call is another drawback from the Widow's Ability, where a player learns that the Widow is in play. The Widow can poison themselves after they see the Grim to remove the Widow's Call and hide the fact that a Widow is in play. And, you know, maybe worth doing it in some situation. In this situation, however, uh, what we're going to do is talk about who gets to know that there's a Widow in play, because that comes with the possibility that that, the likelihood, possibility that that player is good, a little bit of extra confirmation for that player, but also a slight drawback. If the good team doesn't think that a widow is in play, they might end up thinking that that player is evil. So I like to use the widow's call to give a player who might not have other reasons to interact with people something to do. I think that's quite helpful. Uh, it's always good to put it on someone who doesn't have sort of other specific interactions to have. For me, uh, in this case, I think I would probably give the Widow's Call to the Sweetheart in Seat 6. It gives the Sweetheart something to do other than just sit there and go, I, I'm i the Sweetheart, please don't kill me. It gives yes, the Sweetheart sir. some talking point for conversations, and I think it gives them a, a piece of the puzzle to play with. Yeah, now, on a script for the thing doing, an outsider who gets the Widow's Call might just not tell anyone. That's so true. We, have to, we have to think about that. But that's probably fine. Like, the Sweetheart... If this, because the widow won't know who got the widow's ping, it's something they literally cannot know because you don't put that down generally until right. they've decided to actively poison. They poison, um, then you ping. So the widow won't know, for example, that if the pit decides to make the demon a fengu and if the demon decides to jump to the sweetheart, that a new widow's ping will go out if the widow is still alive. So it is something that the sweetheart might choose to be careful about because. It's not going to go well for you if you're an outsider on a Fangu script, and then a second Widow's Ping goes out after you've already claimed to get the first one. It means you've been jumped to by the Fangu, and everyone and one other player knows this has happened. So it is something that we have to think about, and think about our sweetheart player, whether they're a player who's going to realize this interaction is a, is a threat, and probably bury that ping. Because if we don't do that, we have a risk of this player having a really unfun game when they sort of get set up to take the fall and lose with evil. That's a really good point, Emma. But there's not a whole lot of other places where we would want to confirm a player. We could give the ping to the Dreamer, but it comes with the same problem, although the Dreamer doesn't know that they're the drunk. Okay. Uh, but it actually comes with a scarier sort of version of the problem where the Dreamer gives out the Widow's Call doesn't know that the drunk gets jumped to by the Fangu, and then suddenly, oh, I was the drunk, and I got jumped to the Fangu, and now the Widow's Call is elsewhere. Yeah. So, but I'm completely fine getting with the Sweetheart, because it gives the Sweetheart optionality in their play. It's right. a choice that the Sweetheart now has to make. If they want to save themselves from the risk of being Fangu jumped later, they can say, hey, I know the Widow's Call, also please kill me before the Fangu jumps to me gives town choices and options. And that's what we want to do. We want to empower the town to make choices. So the next character we need to deal with is the balloonist. They're going to get a ping each night. And while we don't have to plan everything out in advance, and we certainly don't want to because players are going to die and we're not going to be able to predict who, we probably should think a little bit about which ping we want to give tonight. The balloonist gets a different ping each night. Townsfolk, outsider, minion, demon. So we're going to have to figure out which ping we want to give on the first night. Yeah. And the big thing is you don't want the balloonist to be the meta that this is the order of my storytellers get the pings again. 
you want to be sort of random again in sort of the sense of the order you give bonus things. You don't want, always want to save the demon for last. You don't always want to to alternate between good and evil. You want to make sure it's a little randomized. Yeah, and it's worth thinking about, at least to some extent, if you have redundancy on the script, right? If you give the demon first in this situation, the demon's an imp, they can potentially star pass, the pit hag can make a new demon. So it's probably okay to give the demon early on a script where the demon has ways out. It's also okay to give the demon early on a script where they don't have ways out, but you might wait longer just to see if you can help the evil team. It depends on how you feel like you can balance the game. With that in mind, uh, I think here we're probably not going to give the demon first, but we could give a minion early. Yeah. I, I really don't think it matters what order you give character types. All right. On well, any script. Oh, <laughs> like, well, I, we just disagree yeah. then. That's fine. We just disagree. I well, don't we can think just, it matters. We can just not do the video, really. I mean, no, just do whatever you want. I mean, that's I, fine. Like, it matters, like, it, it more matters who you give within the character type than what character, than what order you give. Yeah, I would agree with that, more or less. And my inclination, if we want to start minion, is I'd prefer to give the pit hag over the widow. Yeah, I think that's right. And that's just because the pit hag is more dangerous the good team to deal with and it's therefore fair to give what's basically going to be the only information on the pit hag this game there's not going to be a whole lot else we're not going to show the dreamer the pit hag maybe the philosopher takes a role that gets to see the pit hag but it's pretty unlikely more or less the raven keeper might see Mm -hmm. them I think it's fine to show them to the blueness on night one so that's what we're going to do and then the other thing we have to do tonight is, of course, our dreamer is going to dream someone. We're not talk about drunk dreamer information. Yeah. So, who do you think? That, what do you think about when you're giving drunk dreamer information? Before yeah. you even go to see the dreamer, you probably want to at least think a little bit about this. Yeah. So when we did our SNV storytelling episode, we talked about the difficulties of what happens when the dreamer picks an evil player night one. So I don't think we need to address that again. It's hard. It's tough. It happens an absurd amount of the time. Just try your best. Uh, so let's talk about the dreamer picking a good player. So well, you have two options with your drunk dreamer. One, let's say the dreamer picks the cannibal. You can give them good information that the cannibal is the cannibal, and then show them an evil character in an attempt to mislead them about the evil team. You don't need your dreamer to be drunk for that, but it's an option. You can give them partially bad information. You could show the cannibal as the drunk. And then the cannibal and the dreamer have to... I would tend to show drunk over mutant because then the cannibal... If you show show mutant, the cannibal knows the dreamer got bad information. You show drunk, the cannibal doesn't know that for sure. But you could only really use the drunk tick once, maybe twice. So you want to be careful about making sure this is when you want to use show the dreamer the drunk. Uh, it's often useful to show an evil player whose information is being questioned as the drunk, by the way, yeah. a little bit later. So you may not so want to I use would, that right away. I would probably hold off on it. The third option, of course, is give incredibly bad information, make it seem like this is cannibals and minions who didn't know what was bluffing, but they were bluffing. 
again, that's probably not going to be my lean-to here. I'm probably going to reserve those tricks of giving bad information for later in the game. I think, generally, with a drunk dreamer, I'm probably going to, who picks a good player, I'm probably just showing them the right role. And then thinking about what I want to do with my evil side thing for this, which is probably show them an out-of-play evil character. Yep, that sounds good to me. Maybe a godfather. That's pretty disruptive for the good team to think that there's a godfather in play. Yeah. I'm probably going to hold that because I'm probably going to show the balloonist as the godfather because That's it's true. a interesting godfather bluff sometimes as balloonists and god- godfathers will generally know whether there's a balloonist in play almost immediately. As soon as they talk to their demons, certainly, and lock in and cross-reference their, their godfather information with the demons, demon type. They're going to know exactly how many outsiders are in play, what outsiders should be in play, and therefore whether there's a list in play. A fun interaction here might be uh, to show an in-play minion that the town is going to know is it, or may know is in play, yeah. along with yeah. a common bluff. You could show Cannibal and Widow. Yeah. You do also, of course, have to show Dreamers demons on a regular basis, uh, because anyone you show is not a demon becomes not a demon candidate. And I think there's an inclination to show minions early when on dreams. I think that inclination is probably wrong. I it's so probably too. fine to just show the cannibal. Uh, maybe you do cannibal Fengu here. Yep, you could do that too. There's lots of options, right? You just want to make sure <laughs> that you show some demons. You want to make sure that you show some minions. And you want to make sure that you're not giving away to the dreamer that they're the drunk fairly early in the game. You want to use that information to create disruption. Yeah. A lot of what we're going to be doing with drunk dreams are showing the wrong evil tokens on evil players. That's right. Like, that is the most powerful thing to do with a drunk dreamer, is now we can show the imp as a widow or a pit hag. Or Probably the Saranovas. Or, yeah, but probably a Widow, because these minions are all loud. The good team's probably going to know what are, are in play pretty quickly. Uh, so probably if the dream, Imp ever gets dreamed, we'll probably show them as a minion. If the Widow ever gets dreamed, we'll probably show them as a demon. That's what yep. we are mostly doing with the Drunk Dream information, is we're misdirecting on what evil player is what. So if good gets into a situation where they have only one or two executions left, they go for the wrong evil. Yeah, that sounds right to me. And if we want to set that as believable, we have to start by giving our dreamer reasons to trust their information. So in that sense, I just want to show Cannibal and maybe Fango. That's fine by me. Cannibal Fango it is. All right. Um, That's done us for the first night info. There are a couple of other decisions we have to deal with as we go forward in the game, though, Emma. Yeah. So we might want to just simulate let's a fast couple forward. of nights. Yeah, let's, let's fast let's forward a Let's say of our nights. philosopher gets executed, then our balloonist is killed off, then our sweetheart gets executed, our ravenkeeper gets sweetheart trunked, no, actually, that's not too bad. Let's have the Widow get executed. Mm-hmm. The gambler dies that night to miss gambling. 
the dreamer, let's say. And then the pit hag decides to make a fangu. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> so fast forward, this is our game state. The gambler has just died. We're not going to have zero deaths from this pit hag change because the gambler has already died this night. Gambler dies before the pit hag makes a change. That death mm -hmm. cannot be arbitrary because it's already happened. Yeah, the pit hag does not have the ability to resurrect a dead gambler. That's not one of its character abilities. So, that means we have a couple of elements that we need to think about. The first is that we need to think about who else is going to be... Uh, what are we going to do about the pit hag's arbitrary deaths to signal to the good team that a pit hag change has happened? We talked about uh, previously, we have talked about signaling uh, with pit hag changes that there should probably be something to let the good team know that a, that a demon change has taken place. So we've got a gambler who's already dead. That probably means we need to kill a second good character. There's already an evil yeah. dead. And I'm inclined to kill the grandmother to get our two. I kills. was going to say the same thing. And the reason for that is that this is a really, really strong flag for the good team that something isn't right. That the demon didn't just kill this grandmother in the night. Uh, the demon didn't just kill the grandchild in the night. There's two deaths. It's a, it, you know, it could still be gambler gambled incorrectly and the grandmother was killed by the demon, but at least it's going to make the good team think about pit hack. And it saves us from a double kill later because it prevents the Raven Keeper dying from killing the grandmother as well. Mm -hmm. The next step in this process is going to be that we're going to go to the <laughs> demon and ask them for a kill. Yeah. And, and we're probably not going to let that kill go through tonight. I don't think we're going to let that kill go through. You can allow, uh, because of the text of the Fangu ability, if the Fangu selects a uh, selects an outsider on a pit hag night, you can allow the Fangu to die and and jump to that outsider. There are situations where that's good. There's situations where that's less good. In this case, we're not going to let it happen. Yeah. Now, the other thing that's interesting for this night is, of course, that we mentioned the Widow was executed yesterday, which means our cannibal is poisoned. That's right. Now, I've actually been thinking about the what do you do with a poisoned cannibal meta a lot recently. The sort of standard thing is to treat it like other poisoning and use it to maximally help and use it to the evil team's benefit rather than the good team's benefit. Mm -hmm. I've been wondering recently whether that's really a fair meta and whether that's really a meta that is respecting the cannibal's role as a townsfolk. And I don't actually think it is, so I'm curious. My thought is that the reason the cannibal is poisoned when they eat a widow is not because we want to be giving the cannibal some powerful misinformation that hurts the good team a lot. But it's because if the cannibal got to see the Grim, that would be bad. Yeah, I think that's I think that's certainly I think that's certainly one piece of it. It also means that it also means that if the cannibal gains an ability that has a you know, a very clear uh, outcome from a from a from a minion, it gives them information that they or from a minion that's claiming like a, a minion claiming an ability that that has a has a public you know demonstration of what it does. 
the cannibal cannibal can know that there's something wrong. Yeah, so I'm just gonna be upfront here. I'm thinking of shifting my personal storytelling meta as the cannibal. Let's say our widow was bluffing chef here. We could wake up the cannibal and show them a chef zero. That would be the traditional thing to do. That's the normal storytelling meta. My sort of inclination these days, either don't wake the cannibal at all, get let them get into conflict with the dead widow and say, you're not the chef, I didn't wake up and get a number. Or wake them up and give them true information that the widow might not want them to get. That's sort of where I'm leaning in my personal candle meta. And look, I'm curious what you think about that. I think I don't like absolutes. I don't like That's fair. the meta that we always have to show the minions bluff to help the evil team maximally. I also don't like the idea that we don't help the evil team with a poisoned character's ability when they might need it. So I think there's probably a middle ground here where you don't say, I'm always going to do something that helps the good team. But again, poison characters can get useful information, right? And I think in the current world of a meta where minions dying generates uh, generates a a piece of cannibal information that covers for the minion, it would be interesting to see what players do when they start getting weirdly poisoned information and expect the storyteller to just cover the player's bluff. If that cannibal just doesn't get woken in the night and the widow was claiming chef, that sure makes the cannibal look suspicious too. Yeah. The other thing is here is that this is sort of the last real opportunity for good to get information in this game. There's yeah. not technically true... That Raven Keeper might that grandmother confirmed Raven Keeper might have to be killed off. Uh but the Pit Hag can also just delete them from being a Raven Keeper before they get turned off. Yeah, and Evil's just, gonna get a fourth player. So one of the two drunk and poisoned players on the Grim probably needs to get something useful before good runs out of info. If you think the yeah. dreamer's gonna live another night, the dreamer could get true info one night or info that you know, points towards an evil world. But giving the cannibal something that suggests that the widow was evil, I think is helpful here. And I would probably yeah. choose that in this situation. So my inclination at the moment is just to not wake this cannibal at all. Like, Yeah, we're not waking up the cannibal. I would just say, you know what? I'm not going to tell you the real chef number, but I'm also not going to back the widow's play bluff. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to let you know, yeah, that player's not the chef. Yeah. Or something else has happened. Your widow poisoned, you know, you've been yeah. made into the drunk by the pit hag. Right. There's other there's other possibilities. And that's the important thing. As long as your choice doesn't as long as your choice doesn't limit the possible explanations down to one thing, it's probably fine. Yeah. Anyway, even with the technical difficulties, we've been going just shy of an hour. And most of the rest of this game is just the social and voting in what goes on. There's not much more for the storytellers to do. That thing who's going to jump, that pit axe probably going to turn the Raven Keeper into something that the evil team can kill so they can keep the outsiders alive. Mm -hmm. That's we, probably our future. We may give the Dreamer good information. The good team may kill off another evil. They may not. The Dreamer's probably going to get Fango jumped too most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time the Dreamer's getting Fango jumped. So... That's probably most of what we're doing for the storyteller, as the storyteller. Everything else is just sort of going to be broken by the books. So storytelling is frequently pretty front-loaded. Yeah. 
is an important thing to remember is when the game gets towards the end, your choices get much narrower because fewer players are actively doing things and the things that they're actively doing tend to have more limited ranges of what you can control. Someone asked me the other day for uh, some advice on just kind of general storytelling thoughts about what what might be worth doing. So Emma, I thought maybe before we close up, each of us could give a couple of just general thoughts on story and kind of on maybe one or two kind of pointers on storytelling that are just kind of helpful and things that we think about in general. Uh, one for me, which I think uh, you and I have talked about before, and we probably agree, is that balancing a game can be difficult. Um, but if you have to balance the game in a direction, try to wait out balancing toward the good team until as late as possible because once you balance toward good it's often very difficult to balance the game back toward good. yeah i'd agree with that i think my other major piece of storytelling advice is let characters operate as beneficially as you can keeping the overall game state in the balance to their team. Um, yeah. Don't put Townsfolk in the bag with the intention of turning them into de facto outsiders because you've noticed this cool way that a Townsfolk can mess up the, the good team. It's not really fair. It's not really the game mechanics. Let characters Let characters do things that help their team. And, and the last thing I wanted to say about storytelling, and, and then you know we'll, we'll kind of move back to our usual shtick, is you're going to make mistakes. Every storyteller makes mistakes. We all make little mistakes, big mistakes, public mistakes. Just even if even if it's something that players would never notice, right? You 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 gave a poison player good information. It doesn't really affect the game. It doesn't really matter. There's lots of little mistakes you can make that don't affect. The game. Your players are going to understand that you're doing this for them, you know, as, as part of running the game for them, and that mistakes happen. So make sure to forgive yourself. You don't have to tell the players that you've made a mistake. You don't have to scrape the whole game just because you've made one mistake. You know, accept it as part of the learning process, and I guarantee you'll keep having fun. And your players will always be supportive and understand when eh, little mistakes have happened. It's okay. Uh, I guess with that, uh, we're pretty much done for this week. So, Emma, you want to sign us out? Yep. May your scenarios stay very grim. Bye, friends. Like and subscribe on YouTube and Twitch. <laughs>